Oh Christ, isn't that the song of our lives? All this spring we've been talking mission, mission, mission. It's been on our lips, but dear Jesus, at some point this has to move from our lips into the heart of our living. The word you send today, may it be clear for us. May we not only hear it, but may we heed it. In your name we pray. Amen. Once in a while, sometimes in a long while, in your reading, you come across a string of words that expresses a line of thought so profoundly that you cannot forget those words. I want to share such a string with you right now. Those words were written by Friedrich Nietzsche. Some of you going back in your history class, going back in philosophy, and you're remembering Friedrich Nietzsche. Some people say Nietzsche, but it's Nietzsche. Celebrated German philosopher, 19th century, born in 1844, died in uh, the year 1900. But he brought an unusual amalgamation of psychology and philosophy together. And he kind of boasted that was his specialty since he was also a psychologist. Well... He put those writings together. They went out into the 20th century, the world. And three decades after his death, another German man came along, got a hold of those writings, and was particularly intrigued with this Oberman or this Overman, Superman concept of the ideal human being. And because he read it, he was so moved, he decided to apply it. And so, whether fairly or unfairly, the fact is history has forever linked now Friedrich Nietzsche with Adolf Hitler. Nietzsche was an atheist. He's the one that came up with those words, God is dead first. Now, he was reacting against formal Christianity and Christian morality, but he was an atheist. Eleven years before he died, his mind snapped. He just went into a, into a tailspin emotionally, mentally. He collapsed and the last eleven years of his life just just wasted. But in spite of all of that, Nietzsche was a man who wrestled with the truth which he did in a book of his called Beyond Good and Evil. And that is in the book. That is the place where he strung these words together. Now you say, oh, come on, Dwight. Why, why are we going to go to this atheist, philosopher, psychologist when we have so much that's true? Hey, wait a minute. Hold on. There is absolutely no way any human mind can be relegated to, to evil. All darkness. I read in John 1, Jesus is the light that lighteth every man, every woman that cometh into this world. Nietzsche was struggling with some of that light. I want you to take a look at these, these words strung together to make a line of thought. We'll put them up on the screen for you. Friedrich Nietzsche. The essential thing in heaven and earth is that there should be long obedience in the same direction. Mm. There thereby results... And has always resulted in the long run something which has made life worth living. Nietzsche's writing says, hey, wait, hold, hold. You want to live a life worth the living, then submit yourself to a long obedience in the same direction. I like that. Uh, at least for me, a profoundly memorable way of trying to capture a life of consistency and faithfulness, a long obedience in the same direction. Just keep going. Don't you stop. Just keep going. Keep on, keep on, keep on, keep on, keep on. 
Now, before you grab your TV remote and mentally change stations and say, hey, I don't need any of this ponderous, dusty old philosophy, I want to share with you a story right now. The story illustrates what Nietzsche is not describing. It's a true story because I got it on the Internet. And so I'm going I'm, I'm to share it with you. Share it with you right now. It's got to be true. By the way, you can, I checked the story out. You can find it. www.flightdata.com Some of you will remember that and you'll, you'll find this story. A friend of mine sent it to me. It's the story of Larry Walters. It's called The Lawn Chair Man. And it has in parentheses, true story, so I know it's true. All right? Larry Walters. This, this, living in L.A., okay? Living in L.A. Larry Walters went to the local Army-Navy surplus store and purchased, can you believe this, 45 weather balloons and several tanks of helium. What in the world is he going to do with weather balloons? Aha! He securely strapped the balloons to his sturdy lawn chair and anchored the chair to the bumper of his Jeep and inflated the balloons with helium. Because what he wanted to do was lift off the ground about 30 feet, go up there and have lunch, just kind of hang over his yard, and then come down. There, there's the picture, by the way. Now we know it's true. His plan was to rise up to, lazily float up to a height of about 30 feet, and so he packed several sandwiches, loaded his pellet gun, figuring that he could pop the balloons when he wanted to come down. That makes all the sense in the world to me. However, things did not quite work out for Larry. When he cut the cord anchoring the lawn chair to his Jeep, he streaked into the L.A. sky as if shot out of a cannon. And instead of rising, leveling off at 30 feet, he arose to 16,000 feet. Can you imagine you're in a lawn chair, 16,000 feet? Whoa! I had to get the willies thinking about it. Man! At that height, he couldn't risk shooting any of the balloons. I think I'll go down. Well, boy, not from 16,000. So he stayed there, drifting cold and frightened for more than 14 hours. True. When he found himself in the primary approach corridor of LAX, that's Los Angeles International Airport. Get this, this is something. A Pan Am pilot first spotted Larry. <laughs> what are you going to say? He radioed the tower and described passing a guy in a lawn chair <laughs> with a gun. <laughs> it's dangerous up here. Oh, my. Why do we do these things as humans? I don't know. But, hold on. LAX emergency procedure swung into full alert and a helicopter was, what's the word here? Dispatched to investigate. By that time, the sea breezes, you know L.A.'s on the harbor, the sea breezes are now sucking Larry out over the water. When the helicopter re reaches him, he's out over the water, it decides to ascend to a position several hundred feet above Larry and lowered a rescue line. They had to go, you know, swing it, swing it, swing it. So he grabs that line. Larry snagged the line with which he was hauled back to shore. As soon as Larry was hauled to earth, he was arrested by waiting members of the LAPD for violating LAX airspace. I can't believe it. Poor Larry Walton. Do I, why did you share that? I'm not sure. I just went, I found the story this week and wanted to <laughs> work it in here. No, 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 no. Come on, there's a reason for it, folks, after that ponderous philosophy we just shared a moment ago. Sadly enough, too many of us are just like poor Larry Walters. 
bored with this glam, unglamorous long haul of our daily routines. We desperately try to jerry-rig our lives up into some sort of quick flight into a moment of glory. And inevitably, does it not happen to all of us? We wind up out of control and we have to be hauled back down to earth. Now, ladies and gentlemen, that is because we have not yet learned a long obedience in the same direction. Now, Jesus makes the point much more profoundly than Nietzsche. And so I wish you'd open your Bible with me now, our last time together in this season, to the Gospel of St. Matthew. We'll just go straight, cut to the chase now, go to the words of Jesus. should be red letters if you have a red letter Bible. It's the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. And we're going to read just a single line. Matthew 5, verse 16. Christ speaking. I'm in the New Revised Standard Version. That's what you will see on the screen. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. Now, my friends, that that line has been tucked away forever in the Sermon on the Mount. It has been there so long, in fact, that what you and I do is we jump into our hot air balloon, we just take a ride right over. I mean, who cares about that line? I want to get on to something meaty and substantive like verse 17. Think not that I have come to destroy the law and the prophets. Yes! Thank you, Jesus. But in our hurry, we have missed a profound appeal that Christ makes. I want to read it again. Verse 16. In the same way, let your light shine. Now, the Greek word, the, the verb here is lampo. From whence comes our word lamp. So, let your light lamp, 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 wherever you are before others so that they may see your good works and give glory. The Greek verb here is doxazo. From whence comes our word doxology so that they will sing the doxology, they will sing the praises of your Father who is in heaven. Jesus says, hey, hey, hold it, hold it. Look, here's what I'm doing. I am calling you to a long obedience in the same direction. I want you to shine and shine, and shine, and shine, and shine for the rest of your life. Don't you ever stop shining for me. Just like a city perched up on a hill at night, that's what I want you to be. Look at verse 14. You are the light of the world. A city built on a hill cannot be hid. Karen and I were flying back into uh, Chicago from L.A. this Monday night. And I tell you what, you know it if you've flown into, into Chicago. What a beautiful uh, panorama the windy city is at night. I don't think, I've seen a few, few uh, cities from the air, I have never seen a more geometrically gridded city in the world. Every road is straight. And they're all lined with these orange uh, street lamps. Spectacular sight from the air. You know, but that's the thing about Chicago. No matter what the weather is, no matter what people say, no matter how Chicago feels, it is committed to shining beside the lake every single night. You can count on it. You can see Chicago in the dark. Jesus says, hey, that is you. I want you to shine and shine and shine. You'd be just like a city. You shine and shine and shine. Shine where you live. Shine where you work. Shine where you play. Shine where you study. Shine for me. Shine, shine, shine. I want you to go take a long obedience in the same direction. And by the way, when the world sees you, whoa, they're going to rise up and sing the doxology, praises to your Father who is in heaven. That, Christ says, that's my mission for you. 
the words of Christ to a campus congregation in the springtime of our new millennial mission. Let your light shine always for me. A long obedience in the same direction. Shine and shine and shine for God. Hey, you remember that song we learned as kids? Come on, everybody knows this song. A whole lot of us grew up with it. How's it go? This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. Let it shine, let it shine, let it shine. All around the neighborhood, I'm going to let it shine. All around the neighborhood, I'm going to let it shine. Let it shine, let it shine, let it shine. We'll skip the one about won't let Satan because you already know that one. Let it shine till Jesus comes. I'm going to let it shine. Let it shine till Jesus comes. I'm going to let it shine. Let it shine. Let it shine. Let it shine. You know what? That song was actually composed by African American slaves before the Civil War a great spiritual. But because the slaves are moved from plantation to plantation, different uh, melodic lines developed so that today we have four melodic versions to that song. And the great African-American hymn writer John W. Work preserved one of those versions and you will find it in our church hymnal right now. Our own Alma Blackman uh, adapted that song for our hymnal. You know what, folks? You may think that's, that's just a little children's ditty. I mean, come on, get on beyond it. Nope, nope, nope. In actuality, that... Negro spiritual captures in its refrain the, prof- the profound reality of what Jesus is saying. How does the refrain go to that chorus? Let it shine, let it shine, let it shine. I want you to notice it, note it carefully, my friends. Jesus does not declare, make your light shine. He doesn't say, force your light to shine for me. He doesn't say, cause your light to shine. He is absolutely explicit. Let your light shine. There's a beautiful, liberating sort of acquiescence that I sense in those words. Just, just let it happen. Just let it out. Don't cover it up. Look, if you don't put anything over it, it's going to shine. You don't have to sweat it. You don't have to think about it. It is simply going to happen. Just, just let it out. Look at verse 15. No one after lighting a lamp puts it under the bushel basket but on the lampstand and it gives light to all in the house. Just just leave the light alone. Let it shine out of you. Let it shine. Let it shine. Let it shine. You know what? Good news, folks. You can no more keep your light from shining than the moon can keep itself from reflecting the sun. Hallelujah. You think about the moon. It, you know, the moon never gets up one night... <laughs> I'm so sick and tired of shining around this place. I am not going to shine again. You say, oh, come on, Dwight. You, don't, you, you obviously didn't get through astronomy class because we all know that there is one night of the month where the moon does not shine. And of course, my friend, you are right. But I remind you that the only reason it doesn't shine is because something got between it and the sun. Which, of course, is a point all by itself, since it's when I let something come between me and the sun that my life suddenly becomes dark. Oh, how's that old gospel hymn? But go, but keep the way clear, let nothing between. If there's nothing between, 
you are going to shine. You're going to shine. You can't help but shine. That's what Jesus is saying. Let it shine. Come on, just let it out. Acquiesce to it. Just let it happen. Let it shine, let it shine, let it shine. Here is a great line from a little book called Thoughts of the Mount of Blessing. Let's take a look at this. Jesus did not bid the disciples strive to make your light shine. He said, let it shine. Now, notice this. If Christ is, page 41, if Christ is dwelling in the heart, it is, what's the next word, ladies and gentlemen? What's the next word on your screen? What is it? It is what? No possible. Is that Spanish? No possible. That's nothing, is it? Well, it is not possible. It is impossible. If Christ is dwelling in the heart, it is impossible to conceal the light of His presence. Get it down in your book, folks. As long as the moon is as close as it is to the sun, it will always reflect the sun. It can't help. It's impossible. The moon cannot help reflecting the sun. The only way for the moon to quit reflecting the sun is the moon say, I'm out of here. I am. I'm out of this orbit. I'm going out there where it's dark. That's the only way the moon will ever become dark. As long as it keeps near the sun, it is impossible for the moon to conceal its own light reflected from the sun, which, of course, is the grand truth. The grand truth of this book. In fact, take a look at this. This is Acts chapter 4. Don't you just love this verse? This is the New International Version, by the way. Acts 4.13. I love this. And they took note that these men had been with whom? You couldn't hide it. You can't, you can't, we're going to put a lid on it, put a bushel over the lamp. They took note that these men had been with Jesus. The early Christians got so close to the sun that it was impossible to conceal the light of His presence. Let it shine, let it shine, let your light shine before others. Okay, Dwight, how do you do it? Piece of cake. Watch this. Let's put two, two more texts up here. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 6. This is a beautiful text. For it is the God who said, Let light shine out of darkness, who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. You want the light of God in your life? Then get, get in the face of Jesus. When you get to Jesus' face, that's where the light comes shining on you. So how can I get it then? Well, take a look at this. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 14. Sleeper, awake. Rise from the dead and Christ will shine on you. I love that text. I never noticed it before this last week. But that's, it, very simply, that's how it works. When you awaken each dawn from your sleep, and you know you've been dead to the world, so the te text fits, dead to the world all night. When you awaken, the very first act upon awakening has got to be get alone with Jesus. Just you and Jesus huddle up because when you get alone with Jesus, His face is going to shine with the light of God and you're going to take that light and it's going out into the world. In fact, I want to tell you something. You will never, ever, ever have any problem shining the light of Christ if you remember those four texts. Let me put them up on the screen again for you so you can jot them down. These four texts that we just noted. Text number one, jot this down. Matthew 5.16. What's Matthew 5.16 about? Let the light shine. Yeah, that's good. All right, text number two, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 6. Let it shine from the face of Jesus. Text number three, Ephesians 5, 14. Let it shine from the face of Jesus into your life every new day. And finally, text number four, Acts 4, 13. So the world will see Jesus in you. Put all four of them up there and what do you have? Let the light shine from the face of Jesus 
into your life every new day so the world will see Jesus in you. Can't help it. it I promise you, I promise you will shine with the light of Christ. And what will be the response of the world? Ah. Well, it's the response our hearts are looking for with the pioneer mission statement. The words we sang just a moment ago. That's what our mission statement is all about. Reading our lives, reflecting His love, reaching our world. And ladies and gentlemen, may I point out that reflecting has to come between the readying and the reaching. Because you can't have reaching without reflecting, and you can't have reflecting without readying, and you can't ready until you go forward on your knees. It is imperative. Our mission reflect that sequence. I'm going to put those four texts up one more time. If you take nothing else from this moment, would you take these four texts with you? Matthew 5.16, let your light shine. 2 Corinthians 4.6, from the face of Jesus. Ephesians 5.14, into your life every new day. Acts 4.13, so the world will see Jesus in you. And what's the response of the world? Go back here to the line that we have open on our laps here in the Bible. Matthew 5.16, Jesus says, in the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. Mark it down. It's called the law of lights. It always operates. The law of lights. What is that law? Lights do not shine to be seen so much as they shine so that what they are near might be seen. Isn't that right? I mean, when you go out at night with a flashlight, you just go shine the flashlight on your face the whole time. Man, what a wonderful light I got. You blind yourself. The whole point of a light is not to shine in your face. It's to shine on what is near. It's to illumine. Jesus says, when you go out and you are the light of the world and that light shines out of you, they're not going to be drawn to you. No. In fact, they're going to be drawn to what you're shining on, what is near you, your Father who is in heaven. When you put a new lamp into your living room or a new lamp in your dormitory room for that matter, I mean, nobody is hoping that when people walk into my room, they'll be transfixed by my lamp and just sit there the whole evening and stare at the lamp. It's crazy. Now, you don't want to have an ugly lamp in your room. I mean, that's, that's awful. You want it to be attractive, but not so attractive that they spend their whole time focusing on the lamp. The lamp is to cast light on that which it is near. That is Jesus' point. Go ahead, he says. Go ahead. Let your light shine. Light up the world wherever you live, wherever you go. Yes, be an attractive light. Oh, please. Do, do loving deeds and kind works. Good. A helpful, good light. But remember the law of lights, Christ is saying to us. Lights do not shine to be seen. They shine so that what they are near might be seen. So let your light shine so that the world will see your Father in heaven and glorify, sing His praises after you've walked out of the room. You know what, folks? There's, a, there's an incredible picture of God right here that I find absolutely breathtaking. You think about what this represents. God is... Isn't this up? God is willing to place His reputation in yours and my hands. I mean, that's awesome. He said, hey, stand up. Andrews University, Pioneer Watcher, get out of here. Let me do this myself. He could do it. But he says, no, no, no. I'm not going to show up. I will not be seen anywhere on this earth. The only way my reputation will be known is if a man stands up and shines for me, if a woman stands up and shines for me, then the world will see me. That's pretty awesome. That God would be willing to take that kind of a risk for you and me. that, That to me is a trust. I'll let Him do it. Where He works. He'll be the only one on the job. He'll be the only one on the job that's going to reflect me. But I trust Him. I trust Him. That's pretty big of God. I would say that is awfully loving of our Father, wouldn't you? 
that he's willing? He's the only one. Only one in that place. She's the only one. But she will be my woman. I trust my reputation to you. Wow. As if God would say, live so that when they see you, they will think of me. And by the way, that's why I love Acts 4.13. Take a look at that. And they took note that these men, that these women, that they had been with Jesus. By the way, Jesus' strategic mission here in Matthew 5.16 is the mission of our new television ministry. And for the last few moments we have together, I'm going to play a video clip for you because you know that just last week I was out in Los Angeles where we taped, hallelujah, the first six programs to Faith for Today's new TV ministry called The Evidence. I'm going to put it up on the screen in a moment. But before we put it up, I have to say, I'm telling you, when we gathered around with the crew and we did every morning, brought the whole, everybody in that building came down to the set for prayer. Our producer called us together. You know, a lot of those, they're not even Christian. They're just, they're just Hollywood. This is in Hollywood. They just work here for a living. And it was a joy for me to be able to tell our team that, if, hey, listen, don't worry. We got people praying back at Andrews University and the Pioneer Memorial Church. You say, oh, come on, does it really... Yep, it really makes that significant a difference. And God gave us six absolutely, hallelujah, blessed shoots, the first six programs. Now, we shot those programs in one of the oldest TV studios in Hollywood called the Occidental Studio. Douglas Fairbanks, some of you have heard that name. The first silent movies were shot in that studio. But now we're shooting for Jesus. Isn't that something? Shooting the evidence for Jesus. I want this caveat uh, also to be inserted here. What you are about to see is totally unedited. In fact, the producer said, I'm not giving this stuff to you, man, because you know what? People are going to form opinions about the new program, which we haven't even edited yet, and you'll just spoil it for all of Andrews University. I said, I promise, I will say this before we play the tape. This is unedited, raw footage. I noticed from these takes, some of them aren't even the takes we chose. They were rehearsal takes. But I want you to see the set. I want you to be able to pray with a vision in your mind now as you and I go on praying for the evidence. So please know that or I'll be really in trouble. Now, before we run it, before we run this, you know what the, you know what the mission of the evidence is. To make a credible, convincing case for the evidence of a loving, personal God to a skeptical generation that has rejected or, and or is tired of former religion. We're trying to reach secular urban America. And so what we're doing is we're sitting down with authorities, experts in their fields, the six individuals that it was my joy and honor to sit down with. Let me just run this by you real quick and then we'll roll the tape. Robert Kaida, plasma physicist, Princeton University. Brilliant, brilliant mind. Larry Dossie, MD. Grew up in a fundamentalist church, is now into the new age, but he is at the front. He's written ten books. At the front of this new praying for healing movement. It's now moving into medical school curriculum. Uh, programs. Larry Dossie, fascinating interview. Jerry Sheeler, Jeffrey Sheeler rather, religion editor, U.S. News and World Report, Christianity Today. And by the way, we couldn't say this on the film because we're not trying to reach Christians, so it would make no credential to anybody watching it. But Christianity Today voted his book, the number one book in 1999, title of his book, Is the Bible True? We wanted to talk to him about the veracity of the Bible. Fascinating. She's an expert. Alinda Sager, guru of Hollywood script consultants. She's written eight books. You know why we had her on? Because chapter 11 in her newest book says you've got to have the Spirit in order to be creative. You need to somehow access the divine. We wanted to talk about the arts there in Hollywood. So we brought her on and she talks about it. 
Oh, and, and William Dembski, the scientists here know who Bill Dembski is, on the cutting edge of creation and evolution, the debate, the ongoing debate today, his book, critically acclaimed from last year, Intelligent Design. Last interview of the six was uh, William Dembski. I tell you what, it is an honor to sit down with these people. And you'll see the set. We are nose to nose practically. Now, the last interview was the third one we did. That's going to be on the clip, my favorite, because it happens to be a theologian and an ethicist, well-known author named Lewis Smedes. Just a delightful human being as well. And so it was a privilege to sit on the set. You're going to see the set in a moment. Having laid that groundwork, let's just run this. There'll be some sound, but if you'll leave my microphone on, I'll make a comment or two and then uh, we'll hasten on to leave. Sonny Jacobs and her husband were jailed for murder. Sonny's husband was executed in the electric chair for the crime. After 17 years, previously suppressed evidence was uncovered proving them innocent of the crime. Sonny was released, but 17 years of her life are gone, and her husband is dead. Are some injustices too great to be forgiven? What does it mean to forgive? Where's God when the bad things happen? I'm Dwight Nelson. Let's look at the evidence. By the time it was resolved, when I went in, I was a mother, two young children, a daughter, and a wife. I was in my 20s. When I came out, I was a widow and an orphan and a grandmother. My son had a three-and-a-half-year-old daughter. My nine-year-old son was married with a child. My 10-month-old daughter was in a very restrictive school in Maine where we weren't allowed any communication with her because uh, after her father's execution, when she was 15 and a half years old, she became emotionally difficult to handle. So she was sent away. So instead of being nurtured and helped to get over it, she was isolated. And uh, all those things were sources of pain for me, anger, grief, resentment. And uh, I had a difficult time with it. And the only way out of that is forgiveness. The only way out of it. There is no other way. Is it true there are some hurts, some evils that are just plain too bad, too too awful to possibly to humanly forgive? Do we do we run into that? Sure we do. A lot. Because when it happens to you, sure. It's never small. Right. So when you talk about too big, too evil to forgive uh, when, when, when you've been bruised, it's pretty big. Uh, and it seems as though the really titanic mm-hmm. evils are just too much. The Holocaust. Well, I, I have two answers to it. One is that the worse the evil, the deeper the pain, mm. and the more you need to forgive. Look, nobody deserves to be forgiven. You don't forgive anybody because you say, well, that wasn't so bad. When you forgive, you always blame. You never forgive until you blame, okay? Mm, okay. And the worse it is, the worse it hurts. And the worse it hurts, the more you need to do something about it. So, is there an evil too big to be forgiven in the sense that it just doesn't deserve to be forgiven? Mm-hmm. I, I remind you, nobody deserves to be forgiven. Never think of anything as too evil to forgive. 
Why is the evidence going on television? Absolutely clear for the very reason Jesus has called us here in Matthew 5.16. He says, let your light shine so that the world may come to know and glorify your God in heaven. Ladies and gentlemen, in closing, I submit to you that the evidence must not only be seen on television. It is imperative that the evidence also be seen in our lives. There's no TV program in the world that's going to reach this planet. But you can, I can together. That's Jesus. That, that's Jesus. You say, hey, you got a light. That light is already in you because of me. Let that light shine. Don't shine it on yourself. Shine it on the one you're near so that when they see the evidence for a God of compassion and love, they will glorify your Father in heaven. That's what Jesus said. That's what I believe. That is our new millennial mission. Let your life shine. Let us stand as we pray. O oh Christ, that's it. There is no other bottom line to this mission but the one you have entrusted to us. To be a people whose lives are set ablaze. Set ablaze by a light inside of us that shines out. That light that, sh that is reflected from the glory of God in your very face, dear Jesus. It's your light. You are the light. Oh, please, as this chapter is brought to a close and the next chapter begins, please, dear Lord, do whatever it takes to keep that light burning brightly within us. Call us every new dawning. Summon us to come to gaze upon your face that the light might shine and that the world will take note that this university, this congregation, that man, that woman, obviously, has been with Jesus. We ask for nothing else but that your light would shine through us. And now may the God who gave us His Son and the Son who came to be the light and the Spirit who brings that light deep within us abide with you in the journey that stretches before us and for us all may it truly be a long obedience in the same direction. Amen.